Hey there. Welcome to the Diojo Podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Where we discuss leadership development with our friends and peers who are in the trenches daily making things happen. Through these discussions, we will connect to learn from each other and collaborate to source creative solutions as we help each other shorten that dang learning curve that leads to conquering our obstacles. The Diojo is the do your stinking job dojo where our goal is to help you develop intentionally. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Intentional Restorer, which is a collaboration between Restoration and Remediation Magazine and the Diojo. The Intentional Restorer is a monthly column released the second Friday of every month on the Restoration and Remediation Magazine platform, also known to those of us within the industry as R&R Magazine. Recent contributions have included the popular segment, Help! Claims Review Shredding My Asthma! Which included both written concepts for exploring ways to win during the Xactimate Claims Review process and a video overview of those principles. Author John Isaacson may not have any great skill with writing, but he sure does have a face for radio. You can find The Intentional Restorer at r&rmagonline.com. That's r&r spelled out, magonline.com. Thank you, The Intentional Restorer. Okay. All right. We're here with uh, David Princeton from Advocate Claim Services. Um, and you're in Wisconsin. What's the city name again? Sure, I'm located in Muskego, Wisconsin. Muskego, uh, Wisconsin. R- relatively rural, but about 30 minutes outside of Milwaukee. Milwaukee, okay, very good. Uh, they're in the Midwest. And so, um, like we've been talking about, this is part of our three questions with the pro uh, segment. Um, all of us are kind of learning as we go uh, as it relates to COVID-19 and um, trying to grab puzzle pieces from each other. And as we share them, hopefully we get a more robust, better a uh, common sense approach to um, how we can help each other through this whole scenario. So uh, before we get started, why don't you tell um, everyone a little bit about your background? I know you had said you've been in the insurance industry for about 15 years um, and, and quite a diverse experience as adjuster, a broker, and a buyer. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background in insurance? Sure. So um Graduated from college, applied to 72 different places, didn't get a call back, walked into a progressive insurance open house, was one of two people picked out of 300 to become a field rep, Um, lived inside of those little white trucks or the herbs for about 100 hours a week, Um, (laughs) did did that for a couple of years, Uh, anything they threw at me I handled, Um, got into something called subrogation um, uh, with uh, uh, traveler's insurance. And uh, did that for seven years at the National Property Recovery Center for them. Um, Got into developing different lines of recovery business, um, uh, essentially figuring out the way the world works, how the policies function, and then developing ways to maximize those dollars of recovery. Then uh, from there, got into the broker world, um, worked for one of the top 50 brokers in the United States, um, was uh, eventually promoted to their lead claim specialist. And in that role, I um, advocated uh, on behalf of 
business customers or, or business clients um, with their insurance carriers to ultimately get something out of the policy, right? Um, so whether that was uh, to trigger um, a liability defense uh, in, in those situations or it was to get property coverage um, or first party coverage um, uh, in the event of a loss. So it was about the strategic presentation of claims. Um, I left there about two years ago and uh, uh, got recruited by a private equity group. Um, I've been their director of corporate risk for the last several years. Um, and then uh, my motivation to ultimately help small business um, with dealing with in complicated insurance problems sparked me to start Advocate Claim Services last July. Uh, my business partner and I at the time, um, we, uh, we really saw a need in the marketplace to, to help small businesses um, or any size business for that matter uh, strategically uh, navigate the complexities of insurance policies to, to be able to speak within the four corners of that page. When you, I always like to ask this question. Um, I've, I've only ever met one person on the insurance side that like grew up wanting to be in insurance and fully intended. Uh, were you going to school for insurance or is it more general biz or? Sure. Uh, so I majored in philosophy. Okay. Always, always had an interest in being a lawyer. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm actually living that part of my dream right now. I'm uh, currently attending law school. Wow. Um, while uh, while I do all these other things, sort while of while you launch a business, while I while I launch a business, and wow. while I'm also the director of corporate risk as well. So, um, uh, you know, I've I think I've been fortunate to uh, to be able to pursue my dream. It took me three yeah. years to get accepted to law school. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, it was something that I I really had to lean into and really embrace and. Uh, I've been loving every minute of it, um, being able to speak to. So the part about insurance that really intrigued me, especially, you know, philosophy major and, and whatnot, it's the power of words on paper. Okay. Um, the, and, uh, and really that, that language, right, the use of language, the use of punctuation, um, being able to, to navigate some of those nuances and, and move into the meaning of the words, right? Um, yeah. To really help facilitate an understanding of what that policy is there to actually do. Yeah, I think you shared um, your your tagline is "We don't sell insurance; we make it work." Correct. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, um, well, that's okay. So, what what we've been talking about is prior to COVID nineteen. It's interesting. So, COVID nineteen or a pandemic like this kind of exposes holes in the system or areas where we need to obviously be more resilient and, and develop. Um, and in some cases, you know, the, the economy has been great and things have been going along really well. And so sometimes that causes us to get a little bit lax in our approaches. What do you see um, even pre-COVID-19 as far as it relates to property restoration and insurance coverage? Um, you know, some of those holes that uh, or common areas um, where you've been able to bring some value into those conversations? Sure. Um, so good question, John. The, uh, the way that I've sort of approached most of my um, uh, claim challenges, right? So a doubtful and disputed claim, which is going to be a yeah. lot of what you're going to see with, especially with COVID. Usually what you have to look at from a coverage perspective is you got to understand what the uh, what the business or what the homeowner is ultimately going through. So step one is you got to listen. You got to you got to hear their whole story. You got to ask probative questions, and you really got to get to the heart of of what's going on. 
The next part, and this is the part where I see the most common failures in the application of insurance, whether it be by an adjuster, by a broker, or by an insured, hardly anybody takes the time to read an insurance policy, right? Um, the insurance policies um, have, have, are very uh, dynamically constructed contracts. They're, they're formed through a three-party relationship. You have the insured, you have a broker, and you have the insurance underwriter or the, the insurance carrier's underwriter. That conversation, having been a buyer um, of insurance now, that conversation is extremely dynamic. Having been on the broker side, I, I, used to under, I used to think I understood the dynamics being on the broker side. Yeah. Being on the buyer side is, is even a little bit scarier, right? Um, uh, when, you're, when you're sitting there and you're trying to have conversations about risk and profiles, you're, you're covering the major bases, right? And a lot of times you're left with the strength of a broker to be able to foresee a lot of these shortfalls or these gaps that you're talking about. Yeah, and that's when you that's when you hope to get um, either if there is no coverage available in the marketplace, you you hope to at least end up with some really robust sublimit, and you hit on one of the biggest sublimited areas in in the country, right? Which is the mold part of of a policy. Um, common failures that I see there actually come from mold remediation contractors or restoration companies. The the estimatics procedures that are followed. Um, if they're not writing their estimates narrowly so that the personal protective equipment, the drywall cleaning, or, or excuse me, drywall removal, um, isn't something that is already narrowly written to just the mold cost, yeah. they're eating up a sublimit that is, that is precious because that might be the only money an insured has available to pay for that cleaning. Um, Recently had a situation, uh, so I mentioned I'm in, I'm in Wisconsin. Um, I'm actually licensed out of Texas. Um, that Texas license gives me reciprocity uh, in 30 states that require an adjuster to be licensed. The other states don't have um, those license requirements. So recently I was assisting uh, in a homeowner in, in Colorado and they had a really uh, uh, interesting situation. So they had reached out to us uh, because their mold limit was eaten up by an estimate by a remediation contractor. It became pretty quick just reviewing it that the contractor's estimatics um, wasn't the tightest, right? Um, what you think would be common knowledge isn't necessarily common yeah. knowledge. Yep. And so you have, you have um, uh, this estimate that needed to be cleaned up. So it was a matter of, of two simple conversations um, and simple, I take that for granted, right? So uh, but uh, two, two conversations to ultimately get the contractor to reconstruct their estimate, narrowly segment the costs that are gen like directly associated with the mold remediation. So maybe a thicker mill bag, um, uh, you know, the PPE that an employee needed, the mold remediation testing uh, to get the proper protocols, et cetera. Um, and then we were able to take that estimate that was written well over the policy limits, got it within those sub policy limits, and then the entire claim was covered by the insurance policy, less a deductible. Uh, so that homeowner went from facing a $15,000 out of pocket loss um, to actually having it all covered and, and just yeah. the deductible expectation. So a win-win. A win, a win-win for everybody. I mean, and yeah. the contractor got paid. That's the, yeah. that's probably the most important thing when I think of, money that contractors have to leave on the table because an insured just simply doesn't have to have it or uh, they got to pay credit card fees in order to receive the payment. Yeah. 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 I think you and I talked about offline. I mean, 
my original introduction into the industry was in mold remediation. And at the time it was covered and things were going well. And then they started shrinking the coverages and we had to learn very soon, especially when it's a water damage event that leads to microbial growth and those kinds of things separating out. Um, and so when you were initially bringing that up, I'm thinking this should be common knowledge for contractors, you know, restoration contractors, mm -hmm. but yet it's not, you got a lot of new people coming into the industry and a lot of people that uh, maybe don't understand the nuances. Um, and we're not, you know, as property restoration contractors, we're not supposed to be policy experts, but understanding if there's a limit to coverage, separating out the scopes of work. So, you know, yeah. setting up a containment, you know, setting up a drying chamber, that should be water related. You know, removing the drywall that's wet is water related, not putting that under the mold specific, you know. So, and that's, what, it uh, can, what it can be too, John, is the integration of technology into these. Yeah. Fields. You yeah. know, a lot of people take for granted, oh, I just point and click and then I have an estimate. Yeah. But if you don't code something correctly as you go along, and yeah. by code, I don't mean software. By code, I just mean properly tag it, yeah. right? Um, in those software programs, you end up with uh, you end up with an estimate that's not properly skewed. Yeah. Right? Um, well, and in, in our realm, you know, most common is Xactimate. So you got the WRT yeah. line items or the HMR line items, but then using your F9 notes to create we always uh, tell, you know, create a story of the loss, right? And that yep. sounds like exactly what you tried to help the contractor do is tell a better story or more, uh, a fuller story, right? Uh, rather than just a Cliff Notes version. <laughs> right. Um, so. And keep in mind, adjusters should be writing their own sheets too. Yeah, um, yeah. And we, I think we all know how that goes a lot of times. So. Yeah, yep, yeah. So, sometimes for better or for worse. Um, so yeah, so that so that's even pre-COVID nineteen. Understanding you know what you're dealing with and 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 the language of uh, the you know I, it's interesting you brought that up the story from the uh, insurance perspective whether that's a homeowner or a business owner you know so that's mm -hmm. obviously a part of the story. So now as we transition in, I think you and I were excuse me in a LinkedIn conversation talking about and I think the note you made um, somebody was talking about there may be coverage under pollution liability and you had said there has to be a trigger. And so that's what I guess uh, where we want to bring in this part of the picture is what are you learning on your end as far as uh, claims language and coverage as it relates to COVID-19 responses and some recommendations you can give both to restoration contractors responding and uh, maybe businesses or homeowners that are impacted. Yeah. So the, uh, and maybe more specifically within the within the context of businesses, yeah. um, right? Um, homeowners, I think, are going to have a difficult time. Yeah. A uh, lot of lot of homeowners policies aren't going to carry a uh, carry a positive pollution language in it. Um, uh, that being said, uh, I think one thing to always understand is that you got to read the policy, right? So yeah. li listen and read. That's the that's the two core values here at ACS or Advocate Claim Services. You got to listen to the facts and the details, and you got to be able to read the policy and understand that policy. So, so moving into the pollution liability or a pollution policy. So pollution policies have been around for a very long time. Um, the the neat thing about a pollution policy is that they are typically very broadly written. A good rule of thumb when it comes to a pollution policy is that it looks to pay for the cleanup of something that shouldn't be there, right? Uh -huh. 
So uh, I commonly use this example because it, it's pretty relatable. When I put gasoline in my car, it's supposed to be in the gas tank. It's not yeah. a pollutant. If I spill gasoline on the ground, it's not supposed to be there. It needs yeah. to be cleaned up properly, right? Um, so when you bring that into sort of this virus context or, or COVID or, or um, really sort of any dynamic, you got to ask yourself sort of that first question of, well, is it supposed to be there, right? I think we would all say from a COVID perspective, no, it, it shouldn't no, thank be, you. right? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Well, the next part though, and this is one of the challenges that I think you're going to see nationally, um, especially with the sort of the push of governments, uh, government agencies with the social distancing, unless you actually have a confirmed instance on your premises, it's going to be really difficult to find a way to trigger coverage huh. because much like my gasoline example, right? You don't like once it's out and it's there, you know that it's out and it's there. Right. Absent confirmation of a COVID-19 situation, you don't really know that you have a virus on premises. Right. You know, I think back to my, uh, my claim handling days or my advocacy days with a, with a brokerage, there was a situation involving avian flu and yeah. chickens, right? Um, there, was, there was some hesitation by the pollution carrier at the time because we hadn't, we hadn't got the test results back, but yet the USDA is there telling us we need to kill an entire flock, right? Uh. So, so an entire hen house, right? So, so when you have those situations and you have those dynamics, once you, get the, once you get the trigger, right? So you get the confirmation of the test, then you have the order of the government to remove uh, the hazard, right? Um, now you're into that realm of coverage with it, or a coverage trigger within a pollution policy. And it also looks at first and third party damages, right? And so if you have, if you have a confirmation of an area that is impacted by COVID-19, and my mind immediately goes to uh, sort of the senior living environment that yeah, we've seen yeah. nationally. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I have family members in a senior living environment. They are on absolute lockdown locally. Um, uh, so, uh, I dropped off some groceries this morning. I had to leave them in the vestibule, uh, cause they're not allowing people in. Right. Yeah. Um, well, which is great. The, I, I, I applaud. Right. Excuse me. I was going to say one of the primary ones that, you know, set this off was here in Washington state up North. Yes. Um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is actually a really good example of where, where I would anticipate, um, coverage already existing. Um, within those dynamics. So senior living is already sort of a medical environment. Right. Um, they, there's more than likely going to be some type of state or federal regulations that apply to that facility and how they're supposed to handle situations like this. Um, and then there's going to be established procedures, right? So when I think of, of a duty to mitigate under a liability policy, hiring a restoration company to come in and clean, uh, especially, you know, I'll call it proactively, I think that's a really good opportunity to try to get a liability policy to pay for these proactive um, uh, measures being taken, um, especially if you can show that, for example, let's say you had a common employee go from location A to location B. Well, now you have that opportunity for spread, right? Yeah. So if you have it at A, chances are you might be able to get coverage for not only A's cleanup, but B or C as you go through your multiple premises, if you have cross-contamination or staff that travels between. Um, you know, that would probably be, I think, one of the, uh, you know, breaking my own rules, so to speak, about reading a policy and, and listening. Yeah. 
that'd be one of the things that I could I could foresee happening. Um, now, as so, you talked about the um, the in you know the pollution uh, coverage, but also we're hearing a lot, um, and you mentioned the. I guess the civil authority, right? Like in the instance where they're ordering the execution of the chicken, the flock of chickens, mm -hmm. um, or we're seeing now, uh, I believe the first lawsuit came out of New Orleans, right? Where they're arguing basically civil authority and suing their insurance company. Um, do you know much more about that situation or have any comments on that? Um, civil authority is gonna be a, an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, the, this, the trouble you have is, is that typically the trigger for a civil authority is that there was some type of loss, meaning a, 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 a let's call it, let's say an, a refinery explosion, right? And it's an active and ongoing fire. And then they close down by civil authority, a 10 mile radius around the plant. When you start to look at insurance policies in that type of context, you already had, you had a covered event, right? So a fire or explosion at a, at a dependent property or one in your area. And that event would then be covered under your policy. Thus you get something called dependent property or you get the, um, you get the government shutdown coverage, right? Because there was an otherwise covered event at someone else's premises that caused the government to shut down your area, right? So, so you have roughly about four different elements there that have to be met before that civil authority coverage is triggered. Yeah. One of the challenges with a civil authority, uh, uh, call it cause of loss, is that they're, they're doing definitely mandates, but you don't necessarily have the trigger because you're not specifically being shut down by government, right? Yeah. It's general, it's broad, it's social distancing, it's, it's, um, uh, uh, you know, I think of like restaurants and, and other things that are in my area uh, and nationally where, you know, groups of 10 or less or takeout only, um, right, or they'll do delivery. You're not getting into an area where I think that there's going to be an express trigger of coverage there. Yeah. I also think that what you're going to see in the, in the forefront of insurance issues, especially with COVID, is you're going to see the full force of insurance companies ultimately resisting these claims. And the reason being is, is that, is that if one gets through, many more can get through. Yeah, right? trickle effect. Yeah. The, tri yeah, the trickle effect and the precedence. What I applaud about the Louisiana situation um, is, you know, I'll call it the willingness of, of relatively a small business when you think about it uh, in the scale of, of companies going through tough times right now, um, a small business willing to put their nickel down and, and try to pursue it. Well, their um, you know, carrier is Lloyd's, right? So one of the yep, larger, Lloyd's. yeah. Yep. So so Lloyd's syndicate, right? Um, so the oldest oldest syndicate in the, on the planet when it comes yeah. to insurance, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's probably part of the the specialty nature of it. And um, you know, I did see one comment, uh, and this is this is I think a, an important point for a lot of people out there as they choose to pre present claims, is you got to be patient, right? Yeah. So one of, the, one of the main things that I saw uh, sort of in a, in a LinkedIn comment, um, and I, I wish I could remember the name so I could cite the source, but essentially that lawsuit uh, could feel a little bit premature because it ultimately wasn't um, hashed out, if you will. The, the claim sure. didn't get presented and then a dialogue ensued to better understand the, the claim. We went right to a lawsuit. I understand the dynamics of both sides of that. It's just, 
the the challenge I think you have in the environment that we're in is the uh, the ability of of an insurance company to respond in the context of a lawsuit is going to be much narrower than they could otherwise engage in conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one of the important things at Advocate Claim Services that we do is we're willing to engage in dialogue. Um, you know, we're we're not lawyers, right? Um, but what we are is we're strategic presenters of claims. We're able to talk about those difficult and challenging situations to help carriers better understand that promise they made to that business and yeah. help fulfill that promise. Um, you know, so, so it always comes back to sort of those core values. You got to listen and you got to read, right? Um, and then ultimately with those adjusters, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hearts and minds, right? And potentially uphill battles to help, yeah, help yeah. an adjuster understand or help a manager understand. Yeah. Well, David, I've, you've given, uh, you know, you've been very generous with your time and your area of expertise. And I mean, I know my head's really, and I'm sure um, people listening to this will, um, this will spark a lot of thoughtful um, engagement. And, uh, and this is obviously an area of specialty, you know, whether it's COVID-19, that part is evolving, but that uh, that claims advocacy, understanding the policy, I mean, those are just great points regardless. Listen to the facts and details and then read and understand the policy. I think that's the same thing for restorers, right? Which is a lot of the information coming out is knowing what your client needs, understanding the value that you can bring to the table and making sure you both are clear about what uh, is being offered and what the, out the expected outcome is, you know, which is, I think goes back to whether you're selling an insurance policy or any other cleaning service outside of COVID. And then obviously definitely when it relates to something that's unfolding. So any other uh, closing comments or uh, thoughts that you have on uh, this topic? Sure. Uh, I think two things, one for a restoration company, um, be real careful about what you're promising you're able to do. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and not only what you expressly promise, not only not only what you expressly promise, but what you're implicitly promising. Sure. Um, so warranty statements in your contracts would probably be a good thing to take a look at, um, uh, making sure that you have some type of waiver of implied uh, warranty um, uh, around the, the cleaning or remediation of something. My hope would be with the mold and, and other things that, that environmental remediation contractors get involved in, that a lot of those waivers and other things are there. Um, if they have concerns about that, reach out to qualified legal counsel uh, to get that addressed. I think secondly, um, you know, as things develop, uh, one of the things that we do here at ACS is um, we actually offer uh, at no cost to a bottom line, we will listen and we will read your policy and wow. then we'll give you a forecast of what it is that we think we could do to help you. Um, so if people are interested in that, I would encourage them to go to my website, uh, which is lossepay.com. So L-O-S-S-P-A-Y-E-E.com. They can also uh, call or text directly, 414-841-6462. Um, That's 414-841-6462. Uh, be more than happy to listen to anybody's situation. Be more than happy to take a look at anybody's insurance policy and give yeah. them a forecast of what I think a carrier would do. Well, that's, again, David, I can't thank you enough. Um, I think uh, I think we'll be in touch, uh, hopefully in the future, if, if you'll allow it. And uh, um, uh, good, you know, congrats on starting the business and, and good luck. And thank you for sharing your, um, your area of expertise with us. 
Yeah, thank you, John. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Well, I hope you learned as much from that as um, as I did. Um, like we mentioned, um, I'm planning on doing this. I've been thinking about it for a while, this three questions with the pro, um, and more as a way uh, to try to reach out to professionals within multiple industries that intersect with property restoration and construction. Um, and that was a concept even before COVID-19 came out. And so I'm thankful uh, Michelle Blevins at Restoration Remediation Magazine has been awesome. Um, you know, uh, even prior to COVID-19, just trying to be on the forefront of trying to get good information out um, in front of uh, property restoration professionals. <clears throat> and so when I kind of pitched this idea that we could include some of these, especially as they relate to COVID-19, my thought is none of us really has the full picture, right? Um, but if we share legitimate puzzle pieces, maybe we can get a little bit more robust picture, a broader view of you know what we're dealing with and best ways to attack it. Um, there's been some really awesome um, <clears throat> just moments of collaboration. I think... You know, one of them that sticks to mind, um, I'm still learning to some degree, but, you know, when the IICRC S500 was first coming out, there was a, they call it the great debate between what the R RIA was at that point, the ASCR and the IICRC. Um, there was some, you know, butting of heads within the industry as to what that should be. Uh, and then last year when um, they signed the, uh, mutual agreement uh, at the RIA conference, you know, both kind of focusing on what their core um, area of focus will be and, and collaborating for the industry. I think that was a great step forward. Um, and especially as RIA has launched the AGA, the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, with the call to be fragmented no more, you know, those two associations leading by example and saying, hey, we're going to, you know, be humble and interact with each other um, has been really good. And you've seen some of those, uh, you know, the joint statement, which Mark Springer said is a living document coming out. You know, that's um, more of that advocacy information and updates. And so with David here, um, I, I loved his tagline, you know, we don't sell insurance, we make it work, you know, with advocate his company, Advocate Claim Services. Um, I apologize. I don't think there's an S on the back of that Advocate Claim Service. Um, so what a unique perspective where he's been a broker, an adjuster, and a buyer, and is still working in that uh, corporate risk um, realm as he does advocacy. But one of the things that really uh, tickles my brain is I think COVID-19 brings out holes in our systems and processes even prior to this pandemic. Um, David brought up you know, poorly constructed mold remediation estimates where just having a basic understanding of we're not supposed to interpret policies, but you, you should know that if you're doing water damage and mold policies um, exclude most mold specific, you know, so that either has a cap or, um, uh, you know, limited coverage or no coverage. And so being able to show your client, hey, these are the things that we would normally do with the water damage. We would set up a containment, you know, um, you know, we use HIPAA anyways. Um, you know, this 
drywall would be cut out normally in a loss, those kinds of things. And so the specific things is, and we would apply antimicrobial and we would use a HEPAVAC. So those are not unique. Those are what we do across the board. But what's unique is we may have to have a negative air uh, unit. And that's, you know, some, some argument can be made that those should be used on every water loss regardless. But, uh, and our, our people in PPE, <clears throat> I would advocate, especially in light of COVID-19, that we should all be wearing full face. I've said that for forever, like encourage our people to wear full face respirators. It protects your face, your eyes, and your lungs, um, uh, regardless of what you're doing. And I think uh, we've got a talk coming up about silica sand. And, you know, in some ways we're, we're repeating the um, poor performance of the past with regards to safety education and just, you know, some common sense stuff to protect our people. And so... Um, I thought that was very interesting that David from the claim side brought that up that, uh, you know, just not fully telling the story of the loss and understanding some basic ways of structuring the estimate so that it's a win-win where what you're doing is getting covered. You know, the client's not having to pay out of pocket, um, you know, and sometimes, um, you know, just being humble and asking the adjuster how to uh, phrase things, you know, sometimes adjusters can be helpful. Um <laughs> And sometimes not as much, but um, you know, uh, but that's interesting. That that language of doubtful and disputed insurance claims. I think that's still going to be an ongoing discussion as far as how that relates to COVID nineteen and you know civil authority being enacted and those kinds of things. So, um, hope you found this um, to be educational, informational, uh, and please reach out. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to people that have pieces of the puzzle and, and have something that uh, that's worth sharing. So um, thank you for listening to the Diojo podcast. And uh, I'm not a professional by any means, so we're learning as we go. And hopefully the quality is sufficient to be at least listenable. Um, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Well, that's a wrap on another The Diojo podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope that you find these things valuable. In business, we believe that the blueprint for success requires those in positions of leadership develop their skills with people, process, production, and progress. We call them the four Ps. Please continue to listen and send your feedback as we seek to find ways to help each other, help each other, help each other, connect, collaborate, and conquer. Thank you. So. Okay, good. You ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. Let <clears throat> me so, <laughs> take a drink real quick. What's in the cup? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got video. We're recording. Okay. Um, and that's, let's see, David Princeton, Advocate Claim Services, right? Correct. Well, awesome. Man, I... Genuinely, thank you. That's, um, I think. John, that's... I think you're still recording. Oh. It says it in my upper left of the screen. <laughs>